All right. Well, welcome everyone tonight and those who are going to be viewing this on Facebook and YouTube and the audio platforms. I want to get right into this. We are in the second session, second message on reimagining on my presence, omniscience, and omnipotence. And what I want to say to begin with, I'm going to review just a little bit of what we had the last time because there were some that were not here. And it's always good to do a little review because we can't retain everything within our awareness from week to week. But let me just say it this way to begin. I'm trying to administer this as simply as I can so that there will not be misunderstanding of what I'm saying. But in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, in Father's creation, he sovereignly made everything, and he called it good, and then he made man after his image, and his likeness after his image, and it says that he gave man dominion. And from that point on, our father became not an omnipotent or an omniscient or an omnipresent father. He shared that with us. And now we go forth in what I call M-presence. A-M-I, remember? It means love. It's where you get the word amiable. It means a friend, friendship, and it also means love. So, M-potent, omniscient, and presence. And what that is talking about is the fact that after Genesis 1.26, he then extended the dominion that he had, I'll even say the sovereignty that he had, he extended that in a relational way to all mankind. In other words, God is relational and became relational with his creation, those that will embrace it. Now, what we're going to talk about tonight, I'm going to later on start giving you five ideas and solutions of seeing that our Father no longer operates as an omnipresent God. And I shared with you last week how if you can find one place in Scripture that he is not present, then you can question the omnipresence. And where did we find out that he was not present? He dwells not in temples made with man's hands. Now, you could say he's omnipresent or am present through his relational creation and through us. He doesn't dwell in this building when we leave. Right. He doesn't dwell in temples made with man's hands. But he dwells in here because we be here. Amen. Because we're here. So what we looked at and what we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to look at what God cannot, and here's a key word, single-handedly do. God cannot single-handedly, he did it in Genesis chapter 1, until he brought us forth. And then he became a relational father, and everything is done now through a people. Everything Jesus did was what? He didn't do anything but what he saw the father do. He didn't say anything but what he heard the father say. Every miracle, I challenge you to try to find a miracle or some feat, even in the Old Testament, that was not done relationally through a people. The Red Sea, the Jordan when they crossed in, to the Promised Land, everything that you call a miracle in the Old and the New Testament was only manifested and done through a relational Father, through our participation. Amen. And if we didn't participate, or others didn't participate, it did not get done. I gave you a little documentation last Sunday. I'm not going to go through that again. But I shared with you how St. Jerome in the 5th and the 6th century took the Old Testament, Hebrew, the New Testament, Greek, and he translated into what is called the Latin Vulgate. And there was one particular word that was pronounced as Pentecratic, I believe that's the way it's pronounced. And he took that word and mistranslated. 
You'll not see these in the Bible. And you will see, you will see omnipotence, I believe it's in Revelation 19 around verse 6, but it was a mistranslation. It was a mistranslation. So you don't, these are not just like Trinity and just like rapture. Those words are not in the Bible. And neither are these three words in the Bible. Now, we went to some scriptures. I gave you a whole ton of scriptures last time. In sharing with you, I'm just going to read one, Genesis 18, 21, where it says, talking about the Father, God, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And I shared with you, that's kind of stupid to say that God came down to see what he already saw and to know what he already knew. If he was omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. So what I did is, I took the words, go down. And when I go down, I will see. I took those words, and I shared with you how that's a metaphor. I will go down and see whether they've done altogether, according to the cry, and so forth. That is a metaphor Simply a metaphor for God being a relational God and relating with people. Okay? That's how I shared that. But what I want us to see is our Father single-handedly does nothing whatsoever apart from a relational character that has to do with his family, with people. I also took you, I coupled that together with the question of why God, and as I said last week, a lot of people become atheists today because of the question, why doesn't God, if he's omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, why doesn't he stop the wars? I'm not throw this at you. Why doesn't he stop the war in his chosen city with his chosen people, which we're all chosen. I'm just saying, you think if he stopped a war anywhere, he stopped it over there. Hello? So many have become atheists because they've asked the question, and I had a grandson that asked this question, if God is God, if he's all these three omnis, why does he not stop suffering in the world? Hunger, wars. And I'm going to show you tonight. Here's the answer. Two words. He can't. He can't. Except through a people's participation. That's why we were given dominion. That's why the earth was given to the sons of men. That's why the whole creation is groaning, not for an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent father, God to come back, or for Jesus to come back and clean up this whole mess. As it appears, it only appears that way. They're not looking for a man to come back to clean it all up. They're looking for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's who they're looking for. I took you to Romans chapter 8, and I'm just going to read this verse. It says, All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, the first part of that, I've heard so many people quote to an individual that's going through a sickness or going through a trial. Well, you know, God is in control and all things work out together for good, do they? Do they always? And this is a participation where it says, according to those who are called, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Purpose there is our participation. Purpose means show bread. It's talking about a people that are eating the bread and drinking the wine. Eating of him. Abiding in him. So not all things work together for good, George. Unless we participate. Purpose is the participatory word there. So in other words, God cannot do these things without, without a people that will participate with him. As man thinks in his heart, so is he. I can go on and on with many, many verses of Scripture. Guard your heart, for out of the flow of the issues of life. Why would he tell us to put on the mind of Christ and think on these things if we don't have anything to do in any participation with the Father? I also 
love. And that's the Father's first and foremost priority to operate out of love and not manipulate people with these three on my words. They speak of manipulation. They speak of control. But God is uncontrolling. He inspires us. He encourages us to participate. And then I shared with you how that if God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, then guess what? He's responsible. The example I gave is if I was out on the street and I saw a child that was about to dart out in front of a, a car or a truck, and I just folded my arms and thought, well, that's their choice. Obviously, they must want to do that. And if I would not stop the kid, guess what? Because I saw it. I knew it was going to happen. And I didn't stop him. That makes me responsible. Being the adult. So if God is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, he's responsible to stop the wars, to stop the starving, to stop the suffering that's going on in this world. Now, as I mentioned last week, there are many, many people today, we sing in our songs, and I told Candy and uh, Diana tonight, I said, you know what, there's just going to be some songs we're going to have to go through, because many, many Western evangelical Christians and religious people sing all these songs about how God is in control, and God is sovereign, and God is omniscient, and God is and, and God is all of these omnis. And what does that do? But it causes that to be drilled into them even more. A falsehood begins to be drilled in them even more because there's something special about singing songs, you know. Yes. It really gets down in us when we sing it yeah. with a melody. Yeah. Now, I share also that if you take prefixes, omni, which means all, everywhere present and omnipresence, all power and omnipotence, omniscient is all-knowing. If you take those and replace them by the little A-M-I, which means love, then we'll begin to see that God is relational via his love for his creation. He wants to have a relationship. He wants to commune. He wants to be with us. So we need to take another look and reimagine these three omni words. As I said, Jesus did not perform one miracle. Now, he said, I can do nothing of myself. But what I see the Father do, that I do. What I hear the Father say, that I say. So you see, I understand why people want to hang on to the idea of omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence, because they want God to do stuff for them, rather than be involved in relationship. And what they do is when God does not do the things that they think he should do, because after all, he's omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, when he doesn't do the things that they think he should do, they get all mad and angry at the Father. So let me ask you, why didn't Jesus heal on his own? And why could not Jesus, when he went to his own hometown, why could he not perform any miracles there? It says he could perform no mighty miracles in his own hometown. Well, a prophet without honor in his own country? Familiarity breeds contempt, right? Why couldn't he do anything? Because he was just the carpenter's son to them. They couldn't identify with him. They were not relational with the Father. Now, I also shared with you from Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 29 that God never said that he knows all things. He said to Jeremiah, I know the plan I have for you. It's for good and not for evil. So I'm glad that my father, in his omnipresence and omnipotence and omniscience, especially in his omniscience, he doesn't know a bunch of negative things about you and I. Aren't you glad? Because where focus goes, energy flows. And I'll guarantee you, if he thought on that level, 
negative things would be drawn to us. So how can an omnipresent Father not dwell in certain places? How can an omniscient Father not know certain things about us? First of all, because he's none of those. He's none of those. He's omnipotent. <laughs> it's hard to say. Omnipresent and omniscient, or am knowing all. Right? He is that. Now, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. You know what? I did forget to put the mic in. Yeah, you're commenting. Aren't they commenting? Uh -huh. Sorry about that. Colossians chapter 2, 9 and 10. He is a relational father of love. Listen, key word, single-handedly controlling no one and nothing. He's a relational father. We are his fingers, Psalm 8. We are his mouth, Numbers 12. We are his back parts and face, Exodus 33. We are his single eye, Psalm 33. So he is spirit. Listen, he is spirit. Let's say, for example, there's a shooter downtown here in Portland, and he begins to shoot. God is not going to single-handedly throw a wall up between the shooter and the people that he's aiming at. Why? He's not a body. He is spirit and needs a tangible body that will agree with him and agree with the truth that will do his bidding or he will do it through us like Jesus. Father operated through Jesus. Jesus did nothing in and of himself. So here in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, For in him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, which is his body, and you, we, are complete in him. So that's telling us we're his hands, we're his feet, we're his body. He was the body of the Father, now we are the body of Christ. Now let me say something else, and I probably said this last week as well. Our Father is not sovereign or the causative factor of any type of suffering. Now, some people that think in a carnal level, they would have you to believe that anything that you go through comes from the Father. He is just that sovereign. But if he doesn't know it, how can he be the causative factor? He is light, and there is no darkness in him whatsoever. People often say, well, you know, God allowed such and such to happen in my life. If, now listen, if he allowed negativity to happen in our life, it's the same as saying he caused it or permitted it. Where would he get it when he's only light? Where would he get it if all he sees about us is on a spiritual level? As he told Jeremiah, I only know good. I don't know any evil about you. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 17. Let's read a verse of scripture here. James chapter 1 and verse 17. To allow a thing is to cause it, or another word would be to permit it. Remember a few weeks ago we did a message that I entitled, What Do We Really Create? What do we really create? We don't create what we already are. And the bookstores are lined with books called How to Create Wealth, mm -hmm. How to Create Health. Yep. You don't create who you be. You can't. It's impossible for you to create health and wealth when you already are that. God is your health. God is your wealth as you. He is all in all. Everything of the kingdom, he is that in you as you. So I see no negativity in that whatsoever. So now what, what do we do then about who we be? We acknowledge it, as we read in Philemon verse 6. We acknowledge he is our health as us. He is our wealth as us. He is all as us. 
He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness according to the knowing, right? So we simply acknowledge who we be, who he be as us. And if we don't acknowledge that, and listen, I'm going to take it further again, even speak it, because our brain needs to hear it. Our brain thinks intellectually and according to reason and logic. My brain needs to hear, K. Fairchild, you are health, you are wealth, you are all things of the kingdom. Because it needs to get in the brain. And every time it gets in the brain, there's a new neural pathway. According to Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton, a new neural pathway. It's like, and I taught this many, many years ago, probably 30 years ago, how every meaningful thought leaves a residue within your brain, a residue, a residual synthesis, as they call it, in your brain. So if we acknowledge who we be, then that is going to project out of our heart awareness. And we'll subjectively be that or experience that. But objectively, we be health, we be wealth. Now, if we don't acknowledge that, this is when the creating comes in. Then we create death. Then we can, and many times unconsciously, but just by the fact that we don't acknowledge who we be, we create, that's what we create. Not the health and the wealth and all the things of the kingdom of God. We already be that. You can't become what you already are. Try to sit in the seat that you're already seated in and see if you can. Try to get in this room that you're already in and see if you can. So you can't become what you be and who you are. But by not acknowledging that and speaking that so our brain can hear it, then we create the opposite. We create the opposite. Now look what it says in James 1 and verse 17. What did I say? I said God is not sovereign in the sense that he's the causative factor of suffering or wars or anything of that nature. And James 1.17 says every good, not a few, every good and perfect, every good and perfect gift is from above the realm of spirit, and cometh down from our heaven to our earth, from the Father of lights, now here's what I want us to get, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, meaning, in other words, there's no question about that whatsoever. No shadow of turning. With whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So there's no question whatsoever about the fact that God, our Father, does not cause suffering. He's already given us every good and perfect gift. And objectively, we already have it. We just have to have it conceived and quickened in our heart awareness, which then will project it out into our earth or into our bodies or into our pocketbook or bank account or wherever. Now, what I want to share with you tonight... In the second lesson, I'm just going to share one point here. Next week we'll do probably the other four, but I'm just going to share one point tonight, giving you some solutions for us to come to the reality of the fact that our Father is not omnipresent, omnipotent, or omniscient. But because of his relational character, he now works through a people that will agree with him. So, let me just talk about this. You know, let me just say this. Do you know that Buddha was a man that left his family and went and set out under the Bodhi tree for 13 years asking the question, what's up with suffering in the world? And I don't think the guy really ever got the the answer. He sat there for 13 years. And I'm not sure what conclusion he actually came to, but the only way that we can come to the proper conclusion is to see these things that I'm sharing with you tonight. So five ideas or truths about Father God, about creation, and about evil. You know... Years ago, when a young man went in and shot up a bunch of kindergarten children, some of you remember, 
Was it in Pennsylvania? Seems like it was in Pennsylvania. I heard one of the leading happy preachers get up on CNN and they interviewed him as to why did this happen and all he could do was say, well, God needed some angels in heaven. He even quoted, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And precious means rare. Death is rare. And then he quoted, teach us, O Lord, to number our days as if God knows the day we're going to take our last breath. And that word number means to celebrate our life. And of course, they recently had some troubles along those lines. And again, there were alibis that were spoken because people believe the asinine thought that God is sovereign, God is in control, everything you go through in a negative way, he permitted it, he allowed it, you might as well say he gave it to you. No difference in those words. Now, number one, look at these five truths, starting with just number one. God cannot single-handedly stop evil. Now, there are some things, as we've said before, that he cannot do, and preventing evil or stopping war or stopping the suffering in this world, God cannot, and here's the key word, single-handedly do. Now, listen. I'm not saying he won't prevent evil. I'm saying he can't. A lot of people would be more comfortable with me saying he could, but he won't. No, he can't. Because he's operating relationally with the people. There's a huge, big, huge difference between the words won't and can't. Big difference. And God is not sovereign in that sense. He's not omnipresent, everywhere present. If he is everywhere present, if he has all power, and if he knows all, why is he not stopping it? He can't. He can't stop it. Only through a people that will agree with him and be his hands and be his feet and be his eye and so forth. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. They were never taught in their churches to acknowledge what is already true of them. And there's such a great deficit out here in the religious church world of people that are so confused, and not only confused, but pissed off at God. Excuse me. Angry at the Father because he did not do out of his omnipresence, omnipotence and omniscience. He did not do what they were believing him to do. And so many times, I mean, you can read it on Facebook and everywhere. Oh, we're going to ask God to do this or that or the other. Let's pray. Let's gather together and ask God. Honey, he's already done all he's going to do. Now he is a relational father and he's going to do it through a people. So, If we think Father God allows any kind of suffering, then the question we need to ask would be, would a loving parent put a child's hand on the stove, the hot stove, to teach the guy a lesson? Yeah, there could be some people that would be that mean, but I'm, I'm talking about a loving parent. A loving parent would never do anything like that to teach their child a lesson. And that's what we see here in Hebrews 12, 9. Look what it says. We have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. They corrected us and we gave them reverence. Then it goes on to say, Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? So what is this saying? Our fathers corrected us, maybe with whooping us. 
our natural fathers, but our heavenly fathers, father deals with us spiritually. That's how our father deals with us spiritually. Now, let me have you go to Psalm 78 and verse 41. Psalm 78. I'm going to finish this out with several verses of scripture. Psalm 78, verse 41. And here we can see that the children of Israel limited, it says, the Holy One of Israel. Here we can see how God turned over the dominion unto the sons, and exactly like the religious church is doing today, God has given us dominion, but we have limited the Father from working through us. You hear that? It says, yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. How could we tempt God? How could we limit the Father? By thinking he's the one that should stop the suffering. After all, he's omniscient, omnipotent, and everywhere present. What are we doing? We are tempting him. And besides that, we are limiting him from working through a people, mainly us. So number one, God cannot prevent evil single-handedly, but he has given us the authority to deal with these evils. And of course, one way that we can do that is by seeing, and I've said this for years, the highest form of prayer we can pray for the wars that we see going on, the suffering we see going on, is to see the whole earth full of the glory of God. Because nearly 99.9% of the people, especially the religious people, see the chaos. See what's happening in the government. See what's happening in the war. See what's happening with the starving children. And see what's happening with the suffering in the world. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 17 and 18 talks about a light affliction. What is a light affliction? Well, to me, it's one that didn't last very long. It's light. And it says the affliction will be a light affliction while we look not at the scene what you see in the appearance realm, the appearance of evil, but while we focus upon the unseen or the eternal realm. We need to get these truths really conceived and quickened within us. And once we do, let me tell you, we will, through the power of the Spirit of Almighty God, we will be unstoppable. Now, let me have you go to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. There are some things listed in Scripture, as I said, that God absolutely, single-handedly cannot do. God cannot lie, Titus 1-2. God cannot be tempted, James 1-13. God cannot grow tired, Isaiah 40-38. But let me show you one of the most important things that God cannot do in relation to what we are talking about here. And you'll find it in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. Look what it says here. We've so misunderstood this verse. And what did I say earlier? I simply said that AMI speaks of the relational aspect of the Father, and it speaks of love. And love is not controlling or manipulative. Love is God's first and foremost desire is to operate out of love, folks, not manipulating with omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience. He manipulates no one. He makes no one do what he wants them to do. He inspires us to desire to do it. 2 Timothy 2.13, very familiar verse of scripture. If we believe not... Yet he abideth faithful. Listen, he cannot deny himself. Now, who is he? He's love. In other words, he cannot deny the nature of love that he is, which is uncontrolling love. Hello. God cannot oppose his own nature. What does that mean? He can't be omnipresent, 
everywhere present. He can be omnipotent and omniscient, all-knowing and all-powerful. And controlled by that, those means. He is not sovereign to the fact that he knows all things about you. He knows how, you know, if you're going to have an accident in five years. He doesn't know any of that stuff. I shared years ago, probably eight or ten years ago, that if you're in an airplane and the engines blow and that airplane is going down, God does not know it. That's not the level that he thinks on. He tells us, you're in the world but not of the world, so don't think on those of the world things. So he only knows when we start praying because we beseech him within us and then he knows. That's how one we are with him. So he cannot deny himself. He can't oppose his own nature. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. Not even omnipotence can do what is self-contradictory. Say it again. Not even omnipotence, all power, not even omnipotence can do what is self-contradictory. Father's not going to contradict his nature of love. That's first and foremost his priority. Does that make any spiritual sense tonight? He operates in his love. He cannot deny himself. It doesn't say he won't deny himself there in 2 Timothy 2.13. He cannot deny himself. He has to operate in love rather than some manipulative schemes that he's conjured up himself. He operates in love and he will always operate in love. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, doth not behave, talking about love, doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. God thinketh no evil about us, folks. In other words, what that is saying there in 1 Corinthians 13, 5 is, love does not manipulate, love does not dominate, it does not dictate in ways that allow no response. Love does not control So through his love, we are, through his grace, we are, through the power of the Spirit, we are, through our relational character that we have in and of ourselves and with the Father, it's omnipresent, love. Love that operates in the power of the Spirit. Love that operates in knowing things. Now, there were things that Jesus got by the Spirit. He knew that um, he was going to go to the cross. He knew that Judas was going to do what he did. He got things intuitively from the Spirit, but he got them from the Father and from within, just like we can get. We can know all-knowing. We can know things ahead of time. If we're in that place in the Spirit and flowing in that dimension, Yes, we can know all things, omniscient. We can know the things that we need to know ahead of time, just like Jesus did. But what I'm saying is our Father is not omniscient, all-knowing in the sense that he knows things that are going to happen out here in the future. He declared the end from the beginning. So 2 Timothy 2.13, where it says there, God cannot, not he won't, Not once in a while he might. No, God cannot deny his love. If God's nature is love, and it is, love never controls, and God cannot deny himself to control others. He cannot do that. Therefore, he cannot be omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent in the way religion has taught it. Now, in closing, let's go back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And then we're going to look at a couple other verses, and then we'll be finished. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Now, next week, as I said, we're going to finish off the other four. The first one is what? The first solution, the first truth we must know is that God cannot single-handedly. After Genesis chapter 1, he did nothing single-handedly. If you find a place where he operated omnipotently, 
omnisciently, let me know. Someone who was always involved. When the Red Sea was split for them to walk over into the wilderness, it was Moses that was in a relational relationship, if you will, with the Father. He smote the rod. When they were crossing over the Jordan into the promised land, they had the ark on the top of the priest, and as soon as the first toe got stepped into that Jordan, it became dry for them to walk over. But see how they were involved? Relationally, they were involved. Nothing in the Old or New Testament has been done by Father after Genesis 1 single-handedly. Have you ever thought about that? Something to think about, right? Which shows us just how we are involved with what is done in the earth. Philippians 2, 5-8. And here we see the word Greek word kenosis, meaning that Jesus, what? He emptied himself. Okay? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. He called himself Son of Man. I think one time he called himself Son of God. Now he came to reveal the Father, but so have we. Right? Made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled, or he emptied, kenosis himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So this kenosis word, which is humbled here, or emptied, and it's different in other translations, it is translated as self-giving or self-emptying. So in other words, this is essential kenosis, because the word essential indicates self-giving and others empowering, coming from God's essence. In other words, God cannot withdraw, he cannot override, he cannot fail to provide freedom and existence to all of creation. And Jesus was not only that example to us when he said, these things shall you do and greater because I go into the Father. And you know what I believe about the greater things. I don't believe it's just laying hands on people and seeing legs grow out and seeing, you know, uh, people healed and delivered. I mean, that could be a part of it, but a greater thing that we're doing already, not going to, are doing already, is teaching people how to draw out of their own well. And as they draw out of their own well, it's not fruit that is here today and gone tomorrow, but it becomes fruit that remains. And that's what we're after here. So this essential kenosis, again, indicates self-giving and others empowering Coming from God's essence, in other words, God cannot withdraw, override, or fail to provide freedom and existence to creation. In other words, God's love always empowers and never overpowers. And his love is inherently uncontrollable. So God cannot control others. God cannot cause sickness. God cannot cause starving people over in Somalia or wherever. God cannot cause a war, but neither can he stop it single-handedly because he has a people that must begin to see these truths. God is spirit. He's incorporeal. We are his hands and feet. We are his body. We are the body of Christ. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are inseparable from the Father and Christ. Now, let me have you go to Ephesians 3 and verse 20. So, the first of these five realities and solutions that we must understand if we're going to be a people on the earth that affect what's going on out here. Now, again, evil is an appearance. I'm not taken away from that. Evil has no power because God did not create it, so it has no God's substance. 
It is a big fat zero. It is nothing. But to some people, it's reality. Yes. Right? Some people are suffering. Yes. Some people are starving. Little kids are getting their heads chopped off in this war. Yes. How are we to look at that? How can we help? Right now, where we are, the only way we can help, unless Spirit gives you something to specifically do and go over there or whatever, the way that we can help, the highest way we can help them is see it over, see the full, whole earth full of the glory of God, see the end from the beginning where they're concerned. And listen, folks, if we can't see ourselves end from the beginning, live in the now is what it means, then we can't help anyone else. So that's why it's so vitally important that we get these truths conceived within us. And I can't do that for you. That has to be us availing ourselves to Holy Spirit within us. It's the only way it's going to happen. Only Holy Spirit can conceive and quicken this within us. See, the kingdom of God, here's the thing. Nothing is out of order in the kingdom of God. Oh, but it sure appears because of what's going on in different places. So we have to understand that. We're not trying to change something. We want to see the earth the way our Father created it and made it. And that has more power. Amponence. Ampotenance. All power is available at our hands and at our disposal. Now, look what it says in Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly over the top, abundantly, above all, that we could ask or think, not according to his omnipotence. Let me say that again. Unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, not according to his omnipotence, but according to the power that worketh in us. So why is it important to know these things? It helps us to understand how things work. We need to know how the Father works. We need to know how Spirit works. And one of the ways that Father works or doesn't work is he cannot single-handedly stop any suffering out here in the world. So we need to get rid of the false hope that God is going to single-handedly stop all this stuff that's going on out here. And again, it's not that he could, but he won't. It is simply he cannot deny himself He cannot, in love, manipulate, coerce. It's up to you and I. Now, let me say this in closing. It's good news to know that God can't. Yes. Say it again. It is good news to know that God cannot single-handedly do these things that Western evangelical Christianity is believing him for Fasting 40 days for, having prayer vigils, and I'm not against that. I'm I'm just simply saying, don't do those things thinking that you're going to coerce the Father to do stuff about the chaos and all the suffering that's happening out in the world today. Anybody here in this tonight? This is one of the most important things that we could hear. And to me, this is one of the biggest sacred cows in religiosity today. Omnipresent God. We serve an omnipresent God. He can do anything. He's sovereign. He's in control. (laughs) He knows all. He's present everywhere. He has all power. Sorry. (laughs) (coughs) So we're trusting him to do what he said he would do. Well, first of all, he never said he'd do that. He said we'd do it through the power of the Spirit within us. And when we truly understand what I'm sharing with you in this series, it will inspire us and it will motivate us to want to participate in the calling that we have. 
So the next one we're going to look at, number two, next week, we'll finish off all four of them. He's a God of comfort. By saying that God cannot single-handedly do anything, well, then what about when I'm going through a trial? What about when I'm suffering? He's your comfort in you as you. It's still not asking God to comfort you. You have the Holy Spirit of comfort. And all we have to do is acknowledge that, as we talked in our previous couple weeks ago message about what we really create. When we acknowledge that inherently we have within us everything that we'll ever need for life and godliness. And it's within us in the form of the seed. But what we have to do is sow that seed into our heart awareness so it can be projected outwardly in our subjective experience. So God can't, folks. That's the message for tonight. God cannot single-handedly do what millions upon millions of people are believing him to do for them and for the world today. Can't do it. He put us in charge. Yeah, he did. Through the power of the Spirit. He put us in charge. Whole creation is on tiptoe, one translation says, looking for not an omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God to send Jesus back and kick booty and make everything right. No, he gave that to us. The sons of men. He rules in the heavens. And guess what? He gave us the authority to rule in the earth. And what are we doing? Whatsoever things you bind are bound already in heaven. Whatsoever things you loose are already loosed in heaven. It means to tie together. We are subjectively tying heaven and earth together as we realize God can't, but we can through the power of the Spirit. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the revelation that you're giving unto us in this series. It's huge. And we thank you for speaking to our hearts, for taking these words and quickening and conceiving them in our womb, our virgin consciousness, our heart awareness, that they can then be projected out subjectively and we can walk in this experience and see the whole earth full of your glory. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in the name of the Lord.